Praise the Lord, Miss Lydia, for reminding us today our Redeemer is alive. He's on His throne and He's assured you and assured me of victory. They're running to Children's Church today to study God's Word with Brother Timothy. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you did the same running into church today. And I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me over to the book of Psalms as we're in Psalm 18. And we memorized this verse this week. I hope you did. I still circle through, cycle through all of those memory verses from the year and just keep meditating on Scripture as we've been learning awesome things about our God. There's none like Him and, and uh, He is an awesome God worthy of our worship and our praise. And sometimes in those valleys, we need to be reminded of that, that He's still our Redeemer and He's alive and He's able to do anything, and all, whatever He desires to do, and it will be a perfect plan. Well, we're in Psalm 18, if you're making your way there. I, I'm not going to read all 50 verses. This is one of the longest songs in the first section of the Psalter that David wrote. But I just want to read the first few verses, if I may, in just a second as you're making your way there, Psalm 18. And I don't know if you realize today, we're going to study one of the... There's only a few attributes left, and some would say this isn't really necessarily one particular attribute, maybe a corollary of all of them combined. But the truth is, God is perfect. And sometimes we don't realize how this can affect us on a daily basis, the way you and I live. I don't know about you, but... I don't like to be told I'm wrong. Huh? How about you? In fact, when I do something, sometimes, I, well, pretty much every time, I want to get it right. I want to do it right. I, I want to do it in a way that, that I know I, I did it the right way, for the right reason, for, in the right manner. And for some, that can be called perfectionism. And, and sometimes we can get so fixated on something that we're obsessively fixated that we just have to get it exactly right. Sometimes, even when we do that, um, some people won't even attempt to do anything because of a fear that they won't get it exactly right. We've worked for people sometimes that are very fastidious or uh, meticulous about the way things need to be done. Are you one of them? Sometimes, if we're honest, we should recognize that. It's okay. Because I've wrestled with that sometimes and wondered, why is that? This isn't the pursuit of excellence. That's a little different than perfectionism. Pursuit of excellence just realizes, you know what? God's gifted me. God's blessed me with talent or resources or abilities. And, 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 and I realize I just want to do the best I can for the glory of God. There's sometimes we go a little excessive and overboard. And, and, and as complex beings, sometimes we have that perfectionistic attitude or tendency. And I thought about that sometimes. And I wonder, why is it that we're that way? Why is it that... You know, even as an engineer, I wanted to get things just right. That coefficient of efficiency had to be one. It had to be perfect. The machine running in just the right way. Why are we like that? You know, we're made in the image of God who's perfect. There's a recognition in our lives that everything isn't perfect. Amen? But, but we want it to be. At least especially those who've been redeemed. I'm looking forward to a perfect place where there's no flaws in anything around us, including myself, right? And we should be living for that. In fact, our culture just makes so much of an emphasis on achievement and doing things right. And so we want to get things right. I mean, students, I mean, there's some students that just stress. They'll cram and cram and cram because they got to get a perfect score on the math test this week, right? Sometimes we are searching ladies for the perfect hair color, right? Anyone who starts a job, a new job, you always want to do things exactly right, especially for that boss to impress him. I know quarterbacks try to throw the perfect uh, pass. They work on their throwing technique unless they go to NC State. Uh, and I went there, so 
Hey, brides, did you search for the perfect wedding dress and the perfect venue and the perfect cake? I mean, come on. Singles are searching for the perfect soulmate. Not cellmate, okay? Soulmate. Amen? In fact, some people are searching for a perfect church, and you won't find it this side of heaven. That's the reality. We realize and recognize, and sometimes they're searching for things that are perfect, and we're not looking to the perfect one who's there all the time, wanting us to look to Him and run the race of faith, trusting in Him, resting in Him. We, we live in an imperfect world. Sometimes we're so fastidious ourselves about things that we can easily point out others' imperfections, and we get perfect at it, right? Hmm. And yet we won't look in the mirror of God's Word and allow it to examine our own lives and acknowledge our own imperfections. King David's life we're going to read about, it was less than perfect. All right, Not just the circumstances and situations he went through early in life, even later in life. But, but what this psalm is about, this song is a celebration that God worked out his perfect plan according to his perfect time. And David became king. He wasn't the perfect king of Israel. There's only one of those, the son of David, the one we're waiting for to come and return and establish his kingdom on this earth. I mean, he was just the youngest of Jesse's son, the runt of eight, right? An unlikely choice to be king. I mean, everyone looked on the outside and he didn't have the appearance. I mean, like his brothers did. Oh, that one's the king, Samuel would say. No, God said, no, not him. You're looking on the outside, Samuel. I look on the inside. That There's one who has a heart for me. And God chose him. And Samuel went and anointed him to be king. And yet the path to the throne didn't happen right away. That path took a, a long period of time. I mean, it would be 15 years until David would be king, uh, recognized as king in Hebron, and then 10 more years until he would be king in Jerusalem. And, and in that time, listen, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear a couple times. He, he said, listen, David, go out and get me 200 foreskins of the Philistines, and, or 100 of them. And David came back with 200, and he thought he could, you know, let the Philistines do his dirty work for him and kill David. And yet what's fascinating when you read the life of David over there in Samuel, what you discover is David rested and trusted in God because he knew he was God's anointed. He knew what God had promised him. He just wasn't going to realize it right away. Now sometimes, let's be honest, when we don't realize the blessings of God immediately or God's perfect plan working out, we, we, we wrestle with the imperfect situations we're going through and circumstances. And sometimes we can get upset with God. We don't always rest. Sometimes we try to manipulate things and, and work out that perfect plan. God, let me help you out. But see, David respected God's sovereignty. He honored the authority that God had placed in his life. And he trusted God would fulfill his promises and anoint him to be king of Israel. Now, this song is a celebration. It's a song of praise because he's finally king. You can read about it over in 2 Samuel chapter 22. In fact, you might have that under the title of the psalm. That's, you see even the song that's sung there, this song that's sung. And it's a celebration, a song of victory. God has finally given him victory, not just over Saul, but over the nations that were opposed to him. And so as he sings this song, he's celebrating the God who has delivered him, the God who has brought redemption in his life and, and saved him from numerous instances where the enemies rose up against him. And yet God was there every time. 
He opens the song. He closes the song with a doxology where he's reflecting on who God is, his nature. God is a rock, a a place of refuge. And and then in between is everything that God has done. And then that verse that we were memorizing this week, that, that the Lord, listen, his way is perfect. I don't know about you, sometimes I question, God, do you know what's going on? I mean, do you really wrestle with the circumstances that aren't perfect around you? And you're like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. You make it through it trusting in the God who is perfect and resting in his promises and what he's about. But see, David knew that, and we should know that too. David knew the Lord was directing his steps. And even when he didn't make sense to him, he never compromised his faith. He never took matters into his hand. He patiently waited on the Lord to bring about that perfect plan. And that's something we must learn in our walk of faith as well. And so as we look in the mirror, the perfect mirror of God's word, that that word speaks to imperfect people like you, like me. And what it reveals is God does have a perfect plan to redeem this imperfect people, these imperfect people called his children, and take us to a perfect paradise with him. And David just sings and celebrates, and I pray you can too today. And if not, maybe maybe we'll recognize, wait a second, let me take God at his word for who he says that he is and choose to trust him today. I want you to stand. I'm going to read the first three verses and then hop down through some other verses just to highlight So that we can go through all 50 today. But in verse 1 it says, I will love you. Now that's a deep love. Kind of like a mother's love for a baby in the womb. So this is a deep, deep love he has. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my strength. In whom I will trust. My shield, the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon The Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Look down at verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him even to his own. Verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too strong for me. Down in verse 28. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And my God, by my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Down in verse 46. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It's God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies and also lifts me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, I and sing praises to your name. Father, may we sing praises to your name today as well. Father, to stop and realize that any weapon formed against us shall not prevail. As your children, we have this assurance that Jesus has achieved the victory for us. And I can navigate today. I can navigate tomorrow. I can navigate navigate each day. Resting, trusting, knowing my Redeemer lives. 
He's conquered sin. He's conquered the grave, our greatest enemies. One day he will crush Satan under his foot and he will no longer be that, 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 that imp that tempts us and tries us and tries to lead us astray from you. God, thank you that by your spirit you give us victory in this world. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. God, today I pray there's faith like that in our hearts. I pray there's faith like David had, where we recognize and realize that the circumstances of life that we're going through, as imperfect as they are in this imperfect world, are all part of a perfect plan to redeem us and to conform us and make us into the image of your perfect Son. So, Lord, speak to us today. Enlarge our faith. Encourage our hearts for the journey. And may we keep our eyes fixed on you, the one true perfect God. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God this morning. We worship a perfect God just like David did. A perfect God. He's perfect and we're not. And sometimes that's humbling to admit. But it's essential that that be our proclamation, our testimony today. When we say something is perfect, what we mean by that is it's, it's flawless. There's no flaw in it. There's no error in it. God must be perfect because if he wasn't perfect, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. But the divine perfection means this. He completely possesses all the excellent qualities and there's no quality of excellence that he does not have. He's perfect and complete in every way. Over time and time again, we've read in the Psalms many times, David singing and celebrating about the perfections of God. Those attributes are sometimes called his perfections. And God's perfectly, in each way that we've studied an attribute, God is perfect in each of those ways. And David just worships a God who's perfect. He worships a God in so many ways that is like a rock. Now, he uses that three times. He uses it in the opening and the closing. And then he mentions and asks the simple question, who is a, a rock except our God? Why would he call God a rock? Well, that's actually something that you would find him meditating on over in Torah. I'll highlight that in just a moment. Over in the first book of the Bible and in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, but which all were considered one book when they were put together, written by Moses. Who is like our God, like a rock, steady, strong, a place of strength? Who is a great deliverer, the stronghold, the salvation? You see this over and over again. David just reflecting on God that has delivered him and, and been there for him at every turn. And, and as he does that, he's just worshiping a God who's constant, unchanging, flawless in so many ways. And yet, that's the God we gather to worship today. You see, all these attributes we've been studying, and hopefully they've been causing you to think and reflect about the nature of the God there. That we worship not just in Sunday, on Sunday morning, but, but throughout the week. God, the eternal God, is always and shall be perfect. There, there's no flaw in Him. There's never a time when God is less than perfect. In fact, He doesn't change. He's immutable. So those perfections always are. There's nothing that's going to be added to him. There's nothing that, that develops within him. There's no way that you improve him. So many oftentimes we're, we're looking for things to be perfected because they aren't there yet. And yet God never will be perfected. He just is perfect. Nothing will diminish him. Nothing will, will it draws away from him. He just always is. And all of God's attributes that are perfect, his perfections, they all perfectly relate one to another. No attribute is greater than any other. They all tell us the essence of God who is perfect. 
And so theologically, when we think logically about God, when we consider who he is, in his essence, he is perfect. And what's amazing, as David will highlight, even as he does in this song, singing and celebrating what God has done, God has done all these things perfectly, according to his perfect plan. Now, to you and to me, we don't always see that. We don't always understand it. But there's no way where God said, oh, I made a mistake there. I I didn't do that perfectly. No, no, no. God has seen and known the beginning to the end. That's why he's Alpha and Omega. He knows everything. And it's all working according to his perfect plan. Even allowing imperfect individuals freedom to make decisions that accomplish his perfect plan. When you look at the attributes as we've studied them throughout Scripture, whether it's here in the Psalms or over in Joshua or in in, in the New Testament epistles, what's amazing there is, is even when an expression of a perfection, an attribute is made, such as in 1 John chapter 4 when he says God is love, that means God is perfect love. God is all that love is in, in his essence, and he loves perfectly. And, and that love that is perfect is, is consistent with all of his other attributes. When Joshua told us several, several months ago in, in Joshua 24 that, that God is faithful, he's faithful to bring every promise to pass, just as he had done for his people. Not one thing failed, Joshua told him. God is faithful, and his faithfulness is perfect. And praise God, He is, because we're not always faithful, but He is. And even when we doubt, even when we're faithless at times, God is consistent and the same, and He doesn't change, and He's perfect in in, in declaring and doing exactly what He said He would do. I know you and I, sometimes we want things just to be right. And God being righteous is perfectly righteous. And, and now I have this sense within me that God should do the right thing. And, and this is a, a sense of what the fair thing is. The amazing thing is God gets it right every single time. He is absolutely just and does the, the just and righteous thing. In fact, Moses will affirm that. David will affirm that. When they sing and celebrate the God who is the rock and everything that he does. Our God that we worship, if you and I entertain a thought less than who he is by saying, oh, there's some flaw in him, that's not the one true God. But he is perfect. And so I need to make sure I'm entertaining thoughts. Listen, as I see God working out his plan in my life, not questioning, wondering, well, God, did you miss it there? No, he didn't. He's perfect. And his ways are perfect. In fact, the God that is perfect has given us a perfect word. When it says here, it's fascinating. When you read here that the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength. Later, when he says it again, down in verse 46, Blessed be my rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. It's fascinating that that David would say this in this way because when you go over to Torah and you read there, whether it's in Genesis 49 and verse 24, when it affirms of Jacob that God is his rock, or whether it's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, Moses writing there about God who is the rock, singing and celebrating the song of Moses as he records, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Moses singing and celebrating what, what was recorded there of Jacob singing and celebrating, God hasn't changed, praise the Lord. So that when David records the same thing in verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in him. That's because God is a rock. Man, he's stability for you and for me. 
And he is perfect and his way is perfect. And he speaks to you and speaks to me a word that is perfect. Now think about this. David, who told you and told me in Psalm 1 how we should live our life meditating on the word of God. That's what he did. Clearly, these themes that he has all throughout these songs that he writes, he's meditating on Scripture. He's turning it over in his head day by day. And as he does that, he's worshiping a perfect God. But but he does so because God, who is perfect, has given us a perfect word. In fact, as David goes through his life, he he says here in verse 28, You know, God, you will light my lamp, and the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. God's word comes, or as it says in verse 30, it's a proven word, a sure word that you and I can trust in. So much so that that this word is perfect and it helps you and I understand this imperfect world in which we live. And how to experience God's perfect plan in our life. In fact, when David writes about the revelation of God, whether it's the general revelation or the specific revelation, in the next psalm, Psalm 19, if you flip over there, what's fascinating is what he says about the word of the Lord that is proven or sure. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, verse 7, converting the soul. God's word that he speaks, it just makes sense, right? A perfect God speaks a perfect word to you. There's no flaw, there's no error in God, there's no flaw, there's no error in this book. You and I can prove it living our life, taking and trusting in Him and seeing God work out His Word and perfect what He says He is going to do. That's what David did. His his instruction came from the Word of God, from Torah. And it made him whole and complete because the Word of God is whole and complete. And so I don't need to add anything that never needs to be improved. The Word of God doesn't because it's perfect, just like the God who spoke it. Praise God, there doesn't need to be any revision to it. I can live with the stability, not only in the God who is the rock, but the Word which is a sure foundation for us in my life as I navigate unstable times. And what David says about the the Word of God being perfect is it transforms our soul, our our inner person. It converts us. It revives us. It gives us new life so that we know how to navigate life. I need to, you need to be digging into this Word and digesting what God says and then meditating on it. Not not physically, but spiritually. Meditating, not meditating, meditating on the Word. I desperately need to hear what God says. This word is true. It's perfectly true. And since God is perfect, he must speak a perfect word. Now you say, well, sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense what God is telling me to do. But I'm going to take and trust and believe. But that's not surprising. Isaiah would say something about that over in Isaiah 55. And what Isaiah 55 tells us is, listen, God's word that comes down from him is kind of like the rain, kind of like the snow that doesn't go back up. It comes down and it serves a purpose. It it waters the earth. It it, it makes it bud. It provides seed for the sower. It provides bread for the eater. And what God says about his word is when it comes down, it never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. It always prospers to the thing to which he has sent it. And that's what God's Word does for you and for me as well. It's always going to accomplish what God intended for it to accomplish. Why wouldn't I build my life on this Word? Why wouldn't I listen to a perfect Word? I'm telling you, the world will give you a counsel, but it's an imperfect world. 
I don't want to listen to the imperfect world around me. The word of sinners, the word of scoffers, those who don't delight in God or his word. David says, no, no, no. The wise man, the righteous man that's blessed is the one who, who listens to the counsel of God and builds his life on that truth, meditating on it day and night. Now listen, if you haven't been doing that this week, and this is the first time we've opened the Word of God this week, then, then something has to change in our life. Something has to change. And I'm not talking about just reading it and underlining it. Yeah, I underlined it this week. No, 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 no. Did I meditate? Did I really take to heart what God's Word was telling me about who He is? About who I am? About the things that need to change in my life? Am I living by faith, resting in what God has said, believing, listen, in these trials that I'm going through, these circumstances, we've sung about, you know, in the valley, I will bless his name. Because see, God's word will speak to us in the valley and God's word will assure us in the valley, hey, listen, I'm a perfect God and I'm working out my perfect plan in your life. Will you trust me? Will you rest in me? And as you and I learn to do that, we trust and we rest that the, worship, the, God, the perfect God that we worship has spoken a perfect word to us and I can believe in it. It illumines, enlightens our darkness. I mean, you stop and think about David's darkness. Many times he had to hide in a cave, running for his life. And yet, did the word of God speak to him? Even when the enemy was right there where he could have, he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. He trusted in the Lord. And God would bring this to pass at the right time. I mean, do you take matters into your own hand? Or do you rest and trust? God, you're at work. I choose to believe. I choose to trust in your perfect plan. And praise God, the God that we trust in today. My life is in his hands. The good work that he began in you and me, he's faithful to complete it. To, to perfect our faith. To, to bring it to completion. To make it all that he intended for it to be. David had to know that. He, he's recognizing that. He's celebrating that. In fact, what's fascinating to me is, is the perfect God that he worships, who's a rock, stability, and one that he trusts in and has delivered him, illumines his path so much so that, that, that God's way, he realizes, it's perfect. That's precisely what Moses had said and affirmed in Torah, Deuteronomy 32.4. And that word of the Lord that he trusted in, was proven. The word that was spoken through the prophet Samuel, you will be king. Praise God, it came to pass. Now you say, that's David's ways. He, he was appointed for a throne. Well, so are you, and so am I. As children of God, there's a kingdom that we're now a part of. There's a kingdom that, as children of God, we become heirs of. It's the path before us. The question is, will I walk by faith to that throne that we're appointed for? We're going to reign and rule with the king, the king of righteousness that we surrender to, the perfect king. Now, David didn't, he knew there was a path before him. He didn't know where that path would lead. God had made it known, but David didn't know. David didn't know what hill, what valley he would have to traverse to reach a destination, and frankly, neither do we. But what David did have was the sure, perfect word of God and the promises of God. Just as you and I do. God's ways are not our ways, beloved. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so much higher, Isaiah 55 would tell us, right? But, but those ways and thoughts of God towards you and to me are all to accomplish His perfect plan. Now, sometimes we're puzzled by that. God, I don't know, understand how you're going to do that. 
In fact, some will be skeptical. I don't see how God can do that. That's not, you're not alone in that. Just go read the Old Testament sometimes. Go, go read Abraham. How, how am I going to be the father of many nations? This makes no sense. I mean, I don't, I don't even have an heir. Eliezer of Damascus, that's my heir, that servant over there. How, how am I going to be the father of many nations? God has a perfect plan. And he's going to work it out. And you have to walk by faith, just like Father Abraham walked by faith. Look at Moses. How are you going to deliver all these people? How, how are you going to lead them out and provide for them in the wilderness? Right? How are you going to feed all three million people or more? Moses, who knew God face to faith, still had to know that God does no wrong. His ways are perfect. And God speaks to you and speaks to me and he says, listen, I'm perfect. My word to you is perfect and my ways are perfect. I'm going to perfect you if you will trust in me. He's the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. They're right in every way. He's a God of truth. That means there's no error. There's no flaw. It's a perfect word. And there's no injustice with him. So I have to choose to trust in him. David did. And now he's singing. He's celebrating. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. I love in verse 30, I underline this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. When I underline his way is perfect, I, I drew a line down to verse 32. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Well, well how can I knew that? Well, David had learned that over time. In fact, in the verses preceding this, leading up to it, he talks about when God is, is like a, he snorts with anger and he comes to, to fight on his side and to deliver him from his enemies. And, and he uses this picture of nature with lightning and thunder and, and God's coming and delivering him. And it's amazing how God did it at just the right time. When it looked like there was no hope, they confronted me, verse 18, in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. Why? Because he's always on time. Praise God today. Listen, no matter what you and I are facing, we have a faithful heavenly father and he's perfect in all of his ways. And you can trust him and take what he says to the bank and God will. Praise God, he's always on time. He's never late. And what he needs and you and I need as we navigate life, he's, he's able to provide just what we need. But we have to trust him. And I'll be confessing, it's, it's not easy. Sometimes you're going to pull your hair out from the circumstances and situations. But what we know is, is a man who, who, who has a heart for God, a man who longs to hear God speak, a man who's ready to obey what, what God says, the judgments that are there. You see, when David was in the valley, look at verse 22. He never jettisoned the word of God. Look what it says in verse 22. All his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. See, see God rewarded David for his righteousness. And that's not that David was righteous in and of himself. His righteousness was by faith, trusting in God, resting in him, believing in all that God had promised him. That's how you live, by faith. The just, the righteous ones live by faith in who God is and what he has said. David did that. I, I, he never let the word of God go away from him. He held on to it tightly. And beloved, I'm telling you, sometimes you're in the valley and you just got to hold on tightly. You got to lash yourself to the word and the promises of God and believe God is faithful to do exactly what he said he will do. And that he's a perfect God and he's going to work out his perfect plan in your life, in my life.
You see, now we can know this like David because the son of David, Jesus, was the perfect one who came for you and for me according to the perfect plan of God. You know, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a, under the law, born of a woman. Listen, what's amazing about that? God sent Jesus at just the right time. The perfect time to bring redemption. And, and the amazing thing is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And yet... We have to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. None of us are going to reach that standard that God has for us. But we don't have to. We, we have to trust in the one who did. The one who lived the perfect life that none of us are able to, to do because of sin. And Jesus came and he lived that perfect life. In fact, he was the perfect high priest that came to offer the perfect sacrifice. Now, Oftentimes priests, as it says over in the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 9, chapter 10, priests have to offer a sacrifice for themselves before they offer a sacrifice for the worshipers, but not Jesus. He didn't have to do that. Why? Because he was the perfect God. And he was the perfect son. And what he did offer was not the blood of a bull or the blood of a goat, because it says there in Hebrews 10.4 that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sin of mankind. What God requires is one who lived the perfect life. That's why it is said of Jesus that, Behold, it was written in a scroll, I delight to do thy will. You see, the word pointed to Jesus, who would come and live out that perfect word, and live that perfect life. And he would delight in obeying and doing it perfectly. So much so that every time he was tempted, he never failed in any way. All those temptations tell us, we've got a perfect lamb, y'all. That died for us. And the amazing thing about God's perfect plan is this. God's perfect plan, though foolishness to some and a stumbling block to some, is this. That Jesus would come and offer himself on a cross and pay the penalty for our imperfections called sin. Where we fall short of God's perfect standard. Where, where we don't reach it every time. And sometimes we transgress too. And the amazing thing is Jesus lived that perfect life and he achieved a perfection that none of us possess so that an exchange can take place when you and I repent and say, God, have mercy on me. I can't save myself, but I see Jesus who died for me. And I want to put my faith in his sacrifice. I realize he died for me and the spirit of God convicts us and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for God's mercy and God radically changes our life and we're born again. And Jesus says, here's an exchange. Here, my perfection for your imperfections. What an amazing God. And then the Spirit of God who comes to dwell within us now begins to work on those imperfections. It's called sanctification. Where we, we look in a mirror and we look in this perfect word and we see imperfection right here. We see a perfect God and we don't measure up. But what we realize is daily, day by day, through renewing my mind and dying to self, the Spirit of God begins to apply that grace in our life so that we can be transformed and, and we can be made new. And, and, and as Paul would tell the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, that, that God can begin working on those imperfections in our life. So much so that, as he would say, we're being conformed to a perfect image, the image of his son. That, that's what we should see, more of Jesus in you and more Jesus in me. And that's why we run this race with our eyes fixed on the perfect God, who's in control of these imperfect situations, resting and trusting in him, saying, God, do your good work in me. Work out what needs to be worked out in my life. So much so, Paul would say to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, right there where it talks about Jesus entering into this world, that God has worked salvation into you 
and into me. And he wants to work it out. And the way he does it is in these imperfect circumstances we go through in this fallen world. Where he, he, he works out what's on the inside. And sometimes we grumble and complain when that happens. God, I don't like your perfect plan. The question is, will I surrender and yield to it? Because God is working on you as much as he's working on individuals around you. You see, we're imperfect people gathered today. Praise God we gather around a perfect God to worship him and celebrate him. God, forgive us when we see imperfections in everyone around us except for ourselves. God, forgive us when we're not merciful, not gracious. God, forgive us when we don't cry out to you and, and rest in these circumstances where we try to manipulate things and, and make it perfect, make it just work so. And we won't yield and surrender to the transforming power of your spirit in our lives. Jesus has provided everything that's needed to perfect us and to make us acceptable to the Father. And God is going to work out his plan and he wants you and I to surrender in the midst of it. That's why we get on this altar at times and we look at circumstances in our life and say, God, I don't understand why this is going on, but I choose to believe, I choose to trust in you. Lord, shape me, mold me, refine me, perfect me. Because you're a perfect God. And that's what your goal is. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you realize, you know what, I've got lots of imperfections, then maybe today's the day you need to say, you know what, I need to repent and I need to trust in who Christ is and what He's done. The Spirit of God is convicting me and I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need Jesus. You see, that's the beginning of God doing His work in you. And maybe you just need to come and grab the hand of a pastor and say, that's me today. I, I, I know things aren't right and I need to make them right. Maybe you're one who's been fastidious about certain situations in your life, always exacting, always expecting perfection every single time. No, no ability to really show mercy or be patient and let God work out His perfect plan in other people's lives. And then you see, get on the altar and say, God, forgive me. God, help me to have a little bit more patience and understanding. Lord, as you have with me. This is a time where our hearts are open before the Lord and we're honest. And if God's Spirit is convicting us, then don't carry that out the door. Carry it to the altar and say, God, I'm going to leave this here today. I don't want to live my life this way any longer. God. I want to realize your perfect ways and what you're about. Maybe some things are just confusing right now and you're just trying to make sense of life. And you're just realizing, you know what, I need to surrender and trust. God does have a perfect plan, beloved. Praise God. Faithful is He who began that good work in you and me. To bring it to pass. You can trust Him today. But it takes a step of faith. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And perhaps you need to come take the hand of a pastor or a deacon and just pray. And ask for God's mercy and grace this morning. It's available. It's there for any and all of us to experience. If we'll choose to trust and obey. The altar's open. The pianist is going to play. In fact, there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. And to look to Jesus today. And so I invite you to do that. If you need prayer this morning or if you feel that sense that God's Spirit is leading you to be a part of this family of faith that joins South River Baptist Church, this is the time in the invitation where we also welcome new believers into our church family.